what do we do with the body when you die? And it's like, oh, if you could do anything with your body, anything from like being shot out of a cannon to (laughs) being turned into confetti, who knows? Um, That would be awesome. Be turned into confetti and then shot out of a cannon. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I'm changing my will. I know what I want now. Yep. (laughs) Welcome to Creative Ops podcast for creative people. Hey, everybody. Christopher Talon, host of this podcast, Creative Ops, a podcast for creative people and author of the novel Switchers, a time travel story about teens from 1996 who get stuck in a time travel war against their adult selves who time travel by switching bodies with their younger versions of themselves, sending them into a terrible future. And it's a war to get back to 1996 with a limited amount of time to do so. Yada, yada, yada. Look at the show notes and there will be a link to buy the book that uh, sounds so fascinating right there. All right. This week I talked with Abby Hunter. She is the owner, founder of The Mortals Cafe, which is on South Division in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It is a coffee shop that specializes in Vietnamese coffee and overall has a theme of death. Yeah, a death-themed coffee shop. So um, we talk about where the inspiration for the coffee came from, where the inspiration for the death theme came from, how she pulled it all together from a business entrepreneurial standpoint, and uh, also her background as a metalsmith. (laughs) so um a lot going on in this one there's some art stuff there's some business stuff and if you're uh one of the local people grand rapidians or west michiganders um here's a little bit more info about a cool place that hopefully you've heard of and if you haven't then damn it get to mortals cafe and get one of those coffees that has the egg the whipped egg yolk with the sugar in it it takes a second to make it but it's like the sweetest most delicious thing ever all right here's my interview with abby So I guess one thing I don't know, are you from West Michigan originally? Yeah, born and raised. From a young age, you had, I guess, an interest in death, right? I I think I read somewhere that when you were little, you had thought about becoming a mortician. Yeah, so that was always, I guess, kind of more or less my plan when I was in high school was that I would go on and go into mortuary science. Was that something in your family or was that just something that was uniquely you? Um, no, my grandfather briefly worked as a mortician, um, okay. or at least I don't know his involvement in the the morgue. I know at one point it was his job to pick up the bodies. So like when somebody is like, hey, you know, Grandpa Joe died, uh, somebody come grab him and take him to where his body needs to go next and that he would go and pick people up from wherever they died and bring them to whatever (laughs) supply not supply uh, what's what's the word i'm looking for like Uh, temporary storage place that they would put bodies i guess yeah or a morgue yeah yeah there you go i really have like body freezers for that um yeah no i actually it was one of the more memorable stories of my grandfather was he had to pick up um this uh, unfortunate suicide Mm. case where uh this guy hung himself behind a door of this inside of the the apartment and 
you know, it was kind of a struggle trying to get in like through the door because the body was keeping that door shut, but they eventually managed to get through that door and like get the body down and, Mm. you know, bring the, the body back in. But this was when he was first starting to date my grandmother and uh there must have been some interesting how was work today conversations oh gosh oh even even more than that uh apparently uh my grandfather moved into that apartment uh <laughs> unbeknownst to my grandmother so that's that's one way to find an apartment you're the first person that knows when it's up yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> great place just opened up yeah so you heard those stories from him firsthand yeah, yeah, and that that always just kind of intrigued me. The you know the idea of being that close to death and interacting with it and caring for those bodies and um, working with them behind the scenes. And I always thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And he would always tell me the process of like what goes into. And again, like then it's like you either get cremated or you get embalmed. And yeah, and a little bit about the embalming process. And it was always intriguing. And I guess I thought, oh, that could be kind of a cool job huh. bodies and dead things don't really weird me out and yeah i was know, gonna say you never got that paralyzing fear that a lot of kids get when they're like wait mom and dad you're gonna die someday and i'm gonna die someday yeah no i was i don't know i well i was also very heavily involved in like nature we had like a pretty good woods behind our our house so mm. seeing dead things and understanding the cycle of life um yeah. My mom is amazing and always kind of made us understand that cycle. And it was just, you know, I was never really scary. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, it was, it was, you saw it and it was talked about appropriately. Yeah. 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 Which is something that when I first heard about your shop, probably, uh, you know, probably when it was on the news. Um, one of the times that it was on the news. Congratulations on all the uh, <laughs> all the all the coverage. It was nice too because it gave me a lot of uh, a lot of backstory too to to work with, which uh, is nice. I don't get that with a lot of guests. Especially then in West Michigan, too, is very, uh, you know, likes to talk about how we're all on the up and up, all the good things that are happening with the growth, the growth, the growth. And having a, a, a death themed shop kind of kind of doesn't stand against the current, but it doesn't definitely doesn't go with the with <laughs> everything else like that too it, around here. It can be a bit of a buzzkill, I think, for for some folk. Um, but, yeah, that's exactly why I made this death centric cafe yeah. um, just because it's not just, you know, people on their outs, elderly dying. It's, it's young people. It's very young people. It's people of all ages. Death is, you know, the great equalizer. It's, oh, yeah. there's no, you know, it, it happens to all of us at whatever point in our lives. And, you know, it's almost like if we don't talk about it, then it's not going to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. and we need to and we need to be able to have these conversations otherwise people just completely isolate themselves and feel isolated by the rest of society especially if they're like in their mid-20s and 
going through cancer treatment and they may not survive, but you know, they still have friends. They still want to go live their life, but yeah, it can be really tough dealing yeah, with sure. grief and the heaviness that, Oh, this person that's my friend is actually slowly dying and I don't know how to deal with it. So I'll just not correlate or associate with that person. So for you, was it, a personal experience or a culmination of experiences that really made you go, you know, death themed. I I, I kind of want to go death themed because while you were at Grand Valley is when you came up with this um, idea from what I read. And uh, were you already going to school for business or something else? Um, I was actually going for my art degree. So metal smithing, something entirely different. But oh. um, because... I've always loved the theme of death and dying. Uh-huh. Um, there were a handful of classes that dealt with that. And I took those classes. Um, anything from the anatomy and physiology of death and dying to death and dying in Hispanic literature. And it just made me realize, and that's where I first realized uh, about death cafes as a social gathering where anybody can host a death cafe. It doesn't have to be in a cafe. It could be someone's house. It could be a church. It could be a library, wherever. And just have casual conversations around death and dying and our own mortality. And I thought, oh, I love food. I love travel. And I want to take this concept and turn it into an actual coffee shop cafe with resources and you know, consistent conversations around death. And did you come upon this through studying, through just kind of your own interest? Did you actually see this? Because uh, uh, what they started in around 2010, something like that in uh, in England, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, did you see this traveling that, or did you just yeah. kind of come across it some other way? Um, No, I... I came across it in in college that was where i first heard about it in okay. one of the uh, death and dying classes and i thought oh this could be cool you know in an actual cafe yeah <laughs> so when uh, when did the real idea of like i think i'm going to do this when when did that come into play while you were still in school or shortly thereafter um i've always had like a really strong set for entrepreneurship It's just, I never really had, I guess, the confidence to start anything. Um, And it wasn't until I started my metal studio where it's like, okay, like I can do this. Mm. And then the pandemic hit and I had to shut my metal studio down and I worked part-time outside in the earth, digging up soil, like making compost. Mm. And it allowed me to connect with other chefs. but also have like the freedom for creativity. And it allowed me to, you know, really get back into what I was passionate about, which mm-hmm. was, you know, conversations around death and dying, but also like food and being able to offer a little bit of something from like my worldly travels. And that was probably end of 2020. And I don't know like what bit me in the fall of 2020. But as soon as I got back from Maine, I was like, fuck, like, I want to open up this death centric coffee shop. 
Hmm. Like I saw a lot of really cool things that people were doing out in like Maine, um, Acadia National Park, Portland area. Like I was all over Maine and I wanted to come back and I was just like dead set on starting up this coffee shop. And that was when I connected with Alicia of Little Space Studios. Mm, yeah, and yeah. she was like, hey, yeah, come to think of that. Like, we've got a, you know, co-work space and we've been wanting to get a coffee shop in here. And then it was like light bulbs and fireworks and <laughs> we made it happen. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, can we talk just a little bit about the the metalworking stuff? I have seen you um, post a few things on Instagram, but I didn't realize that that was like I, I, you know, when you meet somebody, you just kind of assume how you meet them now is just kind of how they've always been. So yeah. I, I saw that and I was like, oh, she also does that. But it, it's kind of blown my mind to know now that you started as a, a metal artist and then moved into <laughs> moved into the coffee thing. So yeah. when how, how does one get into working with metal as art? Is that something that you pick up from watching somebody that you know? Or is it something you just kind of, for some reason, have an interest in and just kind of learn about on your own? Um. So when I went to Grand Valley for like art and metalsmithing, it was really just a focus on jewelry making. Okay. Um which is what I did. And it's why I started up the metal studio was so that people could continue and have a space for making jewelry using fine metals. Um, but then when I graduated, I needed a part-time job just to pay the bills. And that was when I started working at uh, founders and hmm. the lead welder who was there at the time, he was like, Hey, grab a hood, grab a jacket. I'm going to teach you about welding. <laughs> and so I like zero welding background. And here I was in this brewery and he taught me everything I know about stainless steel, um, sanitary welding. Hmm. And he was like the, the grisliest, crustiest guy ever. Um, but he was an absolute <laughs> gentleman and he fought for me to be there. Um, cause Originally, like a lot of the higher up guys, they really did not want a woman, quote unquote, working on their machines. And he huh. went upstairs and just pulled all their heads out of their asses. And yeah, and that's what really allowed me to continue like welding and learning all the ins and outs of like TIG and MIG. And yeah, I don't know it what TIG and MIG are. <laughs> oh, uh, TIG, sorry. TIG welding is like tungsten and inert gas. It's the one where you manually feed it in. And then MIG is metal inert gas. And it's the one where it's a lot of splashing metal and bright lights and it sprays everywhere. And huh. yeah. Sounds kind of fun, but. Uh... <laughs> it's, yeah, it's totally fun. TIG is usually reserved for um, like more finite, fine tuning um sanitary welds where you don't really want a lot of like gases and spatter everywhere because everything's huh. got to be very very clean whereas mig is great for um like more industrial structural stuff when i was in the military one of the options that 
I could have done was welding, but uh, they just pulled me and had me do something else instead. But I remember guys saying that when you're welding stuff like that, you want it to look like somebody has like a, what do you call it? Like a diagonal row of pennies, just all in a perfect line or something like that. Yeah. They say like a neat stack of dimes. Just yeah. There you go. There you go. Tipped over and spread. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that would be the MIG style welding. Both of them actually. Um, it's yeah. It's just one um, is like, you click the button and you got a spool of wire and that's being fed into what you're welding and TIG oh. is your manual you hold the wire itself and oh, you're dipping okay, okay. into a puddle and moving along yeah i'm sure you explained it perfectly the first time but now it makes sense to me <laughs> it's tough like visual like when you're trying to explain a visual yeah but yeah yeah for sure okay so you um did you complete a, a full uh education at Grand Valley in that uh concentration then? Correct. Yeah. And I graduated with like metalsmithing, jewelry, and design in 2010. Okay. And then the shop opened in uh the, the coffee shop opened in 2021. 20... 20, yeah, early 2021. Early 2021, okay. What did it take you to um, get the, the store running? What was it from like, I'm actually going to do this till opening day? Like how much time goes by and what are some of the steps that people don't realize go into just even starting a business before you open it oh gosh oh this was like a really big learning curve um because to be completely honest i had never worked in a coffee shop before <laughs> not only just was a lot of like, firsts huh oh how do i like make coffee how do i use this machine how do i steam milk like, what are the ratios? So there was just a ton of just research going into that. Yeah. But and where are you going to get all your stuff, too? Because I'd love to know, uh, you know, finish where you were going to go. <laughs> but I'd love to know where where you got all your uh, suppliers, too. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's see. I talked to um, Rosie over at Littlefoot Coffee, which is where I get I source my coffee from. Yeah. And she provided me with like a good idea of like the espresso machine that, you know, you want to use and it's good for, you know, mid-grade startup. And yeah, the, a lot of like the bar top was already there. A lot of the plumbing was already there. Hmm. Uh, so it was just like plug and play. Mm -hmm. um, so that aspect was pretty easy, but there was like, okay, like I've got a menu. Cool. Now I need like standard operating procedures for all of these drinks. Yeah. And, you know, if there's certain, um, oh, I forget the terminology, but like certain uh, like allowances or like doing things a little bit differently or like, oh, like we offer raw egg for our egg coffee or mm. cafe tron, which is uh, where you take Vietnamese coffee and top it with uh, whipped egg yolk and sugar. And it's like, that's a raw egg yolk. And, you know, we need to be able to, you know, let the consumer know that 
consuming raw undercooked product can be hazardous to your health and pregnant people. Um, so it was just like all those little codes, um, permits, like having to go online, michigan.gov and get the LLC written yeah. up and well, like let the heart health department know what we were trying to do. Yeah. That's one of the things. Cause, um, a friend of mine used to have, uh, uh, like a Michigan themed gift shop. And he wanted to open a coffee shop too. This was in Lansing a few years back. And he was like, yeah, you've got to get the health uh, people on board, but then the fire guy has to come in and inspect everything. And it's like the fire guy has to come in. Like it's already anything. He's like, I don't know. Somebody, you just got to get yeah. everybody in the city to come, come by and sign off on it. Basically. Yep. Yeah. So that was like a, a wild process. And then at some point, like the health department lost my application. So I'm just like, you know, trying to, you know, polish up the the coffee shop and, you know, get things running and just kind of like twiddling my thumbs. And I'm like, man, maybe I should, you know, email them. It's been a couple months because I was ready to fly back in February. Yeah. Um. So February, March, April comes around and it's like, oh, maybe I should reach out, poke them, whatever. I, yeah, I really want to get going with this. And right now I'm just kind of losing money. Yeah. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, turns out we lost it in a cabinet. Do you still want to do this? And it's like, yeah, I mean, you cashed the check back in february so <laughs> by all means please send somebody down and inspect my facility and you know give me the green light please yeah um but they, they've actually been like incredibly wonderful to work with any questions that i have and they're quick to respond and that's good so they're they're an asset more than they are a hindrance yeah <laughs> yeah that's good yeah, because you need them, but it's good that they give you uh, a little back in return, too. Um, yeah. Okay, so I've had not all the coffees and teas, but I've had a, a pretty good selection of them. And almost everything that I've had there was the first time that I've had any of it because there really aren't a lot of Vietnamese coffee shops, uh, at, least not, <laughs> at least not around here. Um, so if, uh, if you would, kind of tell me what was your... Uh, travel experience that brought you to of all the coffees of the world vietnamese coffees and you were like this is it this is what i'm serving yeah it was it's everywhere you go generally serves arabica coffee beans and when i went to vietnam oh gosh probably back in 2014 that was the first time i encountered robusta mm. and it was strong it was sweet it was iced and i'm like good god why don't we serve this in america yeah um it's so good it's, <laughs> uh, lo and behold there's like a lot of reasons why it's not in coffee shops and a lot of it is just biases and um a little bit of racism and uh, you know the the market that kind of takes advantage of um these these countries um yeah but it was just like wow this this is something that i want to serve in my coffee shop but as far as like where to source it i had no idea i know sometimes traditionally the cafe du monde is used to make quote-unquote vietnamese coffee but it's like no 
like fist on the table. I am making Vietnamese from Vietnam Robusta coffee, but there was no way to really source it. But yeah. I ended up finding um, Wynn Coffee Supply out in Brooklyn. I think since then she's moved to New York. Um, but you say, did you do you mean Brooklyn, New York, or Brooklyn, Brooklyn, Michigan? Brooklyn, New York. Yeah. Okay. Just curious because there is a Brooklyn, Michigan for people that are like, why would I even ask that? There's a NAS or NASA <laughs> NASCAR race that they do there. It's you know, there's something there. Okay. Yeah. No, I had no idea there was a Brooklyn, Michigan. Yeah, like the Michigan International Speedway. <laughs> but yeah, she's uh, she's out in um, Brooklyn, and as soon as I I found that she serves like one hundred percent pure robusta coffee, I was like, heck yes, um, and started brewing it up, and it it's perfect. It takes me back to Vietnam, and it is exactly what I want people to experience. And, uh, you know, and you can get Vietnamese coffee here. It's just you typically would have to go to a Vietnamese restaurant. Um, mm. I have not seen it in any coffee shops otherwise. And not everybody wants to, you know, pop into the Vietnamese restaurant at 8 a.m. <laughs> for coffee to go. Yeah. If they even open that early, I don't think they are. Yeah, especially if you don't know much about the the drinks either, because like you said, if you if you you're not gonna find much around here, uh just on a casual, hey, let's go find a place that's got some Vietnamese coffee. So when you finally are confronted with it and you just hear, Oh, there's egg in it, uh I don't know. You know what I mean? It's a very especially around here, it's a very uh, meat and potatoes kind of community. So Yeah. Oh, people either are like like what you mentioned they're like kind of hesitant but then you get some people that are like oh hell yeah sign me up yeah. um and yeah i have a lot of like followers and enthusiasts for this egg coffee now oh it's so good it's so good i'm pretty sure that was the one i made a post about one time and uh yeah it was <laughs> one of my more popular uh reels too <laughs> yeah. Yeah. people are just like vietnamese coffee interesting <laughs> yeah so um and then as far as finding the um the ingredients because like you said you you found this person in new york was that just like through uh some of these other coffee connections or was that through just some intense googling or or, or what um oh gosh i think i just started following coffee centric people on Instagram. Yeah. And and I cannot remember like where it came up or maybe it was a Google search trying to find Robusta coffee. Um cuz since then like even her company has blown up and gone really national um since then. Mm, good for them. Yeah. And then uh the milk you said you get from the the condensed milk that you get, you get from one of the local um, markets. Yeah. Yep. It's the, uh, Oh gosh. I keep wanting to call it golden palace. Um, but that's the name of the restaurant that's in it. Um, the Kim Young supermarket. Oh, okay. Which is kind of our local Vietnamese Asian supermarket. Yeah. Was it hard to, 
find something or as soon as you found that place where you're like, oh, this place will have what I need. (laughs) Yeah, I knew they would have what I need. Um, But then sometimes they don't always have it. So I kind of have to go to the grocery store and but I, I just try to find whichever one is just like straight up milk and sugar. Some of the other sweetened condensed milks will have other additives. And I just try to go for, you know, whatever is simple. Yeah. Okay, so as far as putting the the menu together, do you um, how do you, how do you how do you do that? I'm sure you had a in your mind some of the stuff that you wanted to have already, but then you have to learn how to make all these drinks. Are you going to the library, getting a bunch of different books? Are you asking people to show you how to make things? Did you already kind of know how to make them? Yeah, so I it was a lot of like YouTube. Um, I bought a couple books on like being a barista and what goes into like how to tamp and, you know, Graham's input versus output and all of that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. I did connect with, uh, yeah, like a couple, I had a couple baristas come in and um, taught me how to steam milk and how to tamp properly. And um, yeah, a lot of trial and error. Um, there was, cause I also just don't really go to a lot of coffee shops just cause I, I'm just poor and it's not a luxury I care to, right. really, you know, indulge in. Yeah, yeah. So it was, but I knew like what tasted good. Um, and I initially kept my menu pretty simple with like, here's a latte and here's an espresso and just. But then it's like I had more people coming in and they're like, oh, could I have a cortado? Could I have a cappuccino? You know, and I was just like, oh, man, I guess I really got to like, you know, even though they may not be on the menu, people still want these drinks and I should know how to make them. And, you know, and what goes into a good Americano. You basically were uh, the the professor and student. You were outlining your own curriculum and then learning it all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and that was that was why I, I didn't entirely mind that it took us until July to be or June, July to be official with our coffee shop officially opening. Yeah, once uh, everything didn't get lost and finally got pushed all the right through places. Yeah, I know. It gave me a few months to kind of hone in on uh, certain certain ratios and recipes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's one good lesson, right, is there's always there's always something you can do with that extra time if you find that extra time on your hands. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. There was also oh, it's weird because you could be so excited to start something up and get it going. And by the time you actually launch it. You're absolutely terrified. <laughs> and I can't explain it. I don't entirely know why that is. Maybe it's like the fear of failure or like, oh, damn, now I actually have to run this thing. Yeah. Well, know, I'm sure or- it's the same thing that like, um, you know, they'll. I've heard uh, 
champions in combat sports talk about how you know even when they're the best fighter in the world they still feel like they're going to throw up right before they walk out of the out of the dressing room and i think part of that's just like fear of failure but also like oh shit i'm really doing this there's no turning back now ah yeah (laughs) (laughs) there's no backpedal yeah it's everything sounds great when it's an idea but now when you're really doing it, it's like okay now i've now it's actually on my shoulders and i got to make it happen yeah it's a vulnerability because now it's a part of your soul a part of your idea your design that now is going public and yeah far as getting publicity for your place because it seems like when when you opened almost immediately everyone in town was like "Ooh, let's go talk about this place so how much of that was you know you behind the scenes going like hey just so you know i've got this place open and how much of it was just people going oh it's a cool new thing let's go talk about it oh god it was the ripple effect i because i was so like excited but also scared to finally open i was like i love just like quietly putting a good thing into the world yeah just letting it go do its own thing organically so a lot of the the media and write-ups surrounding this coffee shop have been entirely organic i did not reach out to anybody i am anti-social as hell Um, so but it was kind of also frustrating because i had never really knew how the media worked so it was you know one place getting a hold of me going like oh this is really cool we'd love to talk to you and they would write an article and then other news outlets would steal I don't want to say steal. Apparently, it's like totally a normal thing to do for other media outlets to grab what somebody else wrote yeah, and to put it under a different title, but like change a few things around. But yeah. they would get that information wrong. <laughs> so then it was just having to like backtrack <laughs> certain things and like, you know, it, it was just like, yeah, we're called like cafe and confection, but you know, we're just a small startup right now. We'll eventually get to that. But people were showing up like demanding pastries <laughs> and they clearly did not know the distinction between pastries and confections. Uh-huh. So it was just kind of a hot media mess. Um, <laughs> but there were some really great connections uh, from that. Um, but no, I, I did not actually seek out attention. It just hmm. kind of like blew up and it did pretty well for our coffee shop in the beginning. I mean, we weren't slammed. In fact, we were pretty slow, um, but it's good. It was like a really good, I was worried that I'd need to immediately hire people Um but no, we were pretty well hidden and tucked away within the confines of downtown Grand Rapids, where we're kind of like a little secret treasure hunt. So <laughs> only the worthy could find us. Um, yeah, well, I remember walking uh, walking into the shop within the first few months after it opened, 
and got a coffee and was like, oh, this place is cool. And then I came back a few months later and I was like, whoa, this looks like a different place. Yeah. Yeah. It was a constant evolution. Yeah. I don't know if the library was uh, there, if it was as stocked up as it was, but then all the, uh, all the decorations and I don't know if the hanging chair was there. Oh yeah. I busted that out again. It was, I don't know. We'll find like cool things in the building. And it's like, Oh, why isn't this? Let's bring this yeah. out. This is great. Yeah, yeah. Um. So when uh, when did you start hiring people? Because I'm trying to think how many different people I've seen working for you back there. Two or three at least, right? Um. Yeah, it's myself and two others. Um, okay. And it wasn't until September that I hired my first person. So me about two three months after i officially opened and now you're <laughs> writing w2s and signing checks how's that feel oh god terrible <laughs> it's <laughs> um it's not like my favorite part of the business um even yeah. like that was a whole like technology i i am awful with technology so trying to you know sign up for an un- unemployment insurance and like payroll and Mm. you know it's not just that you pay you know this person eight hundred dollars you also have to pay like the two hundred dollars for unemployment insurance and then like the thirty two dollars and some other percentage for this company to do that for you um so it's it was just kind of really eye opening to see what all goes into a paycheck, a yeah. very simple paycheck. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, funny story about unemployment stuff. I remember somebody. Uh, it was during the pandemic. Somebody was somebody I knew was unemployed, and um, said, "Hey, I'm trying to get unemployment. Can uh, I write you down as a reference saying that I was going to do some work in your house, but then this happened, and then I couldn't." I was like, um, I don't know. Let me ask. I asked somebody who was a bookkeeper and they're like, no, because then you're going to have to pay that person's unemployment. I was like, oh, sorry. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's... Which is another thing that people don't think about. That money doesn't just like come out of nowhere. They don't just pull it out of the reserve. The employer has to pay that. Yep. Which is bananas in its own way. But I guess also like a. A protection for workers which i don't know do you do you have any different opinion now on people who own businesses now that you've been running uh well you've had a couple i guess now um versus when you were somebody who was more in a position of being a worker because i know some people are like man people who own businesses are screwing us all over and then i know people who own businesses are like man you don't know the half of what it takes to run this thing yes um and i've always had some kind of idea just again, just being business inclined. And that was always my hesitancy for starting a business because while I didn't know all the intricacies of running and starting and operating a business, I knew there was just so much more than just, oh, you know, your quarterly taxes and your sales tax, and then you got to pay your employees. But I mean, there was, yeah, now that I'm in the, the thick of, managing a business i really wish there were more conversations so that people could understand like what all 
like I, I am currently free labor for my, my business. And like, it's not so easy to like, God, fuck, I wish I could give my employees $20 an hour. Yeah. But there is so much that goes into, again, it's like you, you pay more in all these other areas. Um, and it's not, you have to like very cautiously step, step forward with each raise. And, you know, I don't think, yeah, I mean, some of these bigger corporations, I'd like to see not so much like a, a minimum wage, but a maximum wage Mm. because some of these CEOs (laughs) are getting like, holy shit, like half a million dollars salary. Yeah. While their lowest paid employee is can barely get a living wage, yeah, can barely make ends meet, you know. Yeah. And I've talked to nurses a- in the area that have been going through that, where they said for the last twelve years I've lost money based on inflation, you know, regardless of what you know market raise they've given me. And meanwhile, the person who runs the hospital makes a million dollars a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that see. I get there are definitely I have heard horror stories of small businesses completely abusing their staff. Anything from like not paying out um, like credit card wage tips to or not paying their overtime, which was something that a business got pinched for here recently. Oh, yeah. Yes. Gosh, I remember hearing about that. Um, yeah. So like definitely small businesses. Ooh, they can yeah they are just as guilty but some of these big corporations where it's like okay you know you can do better yeah you have clearly have the money if like your your doctors or the ceo of this hospital is getting a million dollars yeah if you're giving out corporate bonuses maybe stop and yeah (laughs) pay people that have been working somewhere for 10 to 15 years or even someone who's been working there for a year just yeah like if you get make life a little easier a couple yachts you know, in a, a beach house in Florida, yeah. maybe you'd sell it and give everybody some bonuses. And yeah, quit being a dick about it. Yeah, so prove to us that trickle down actually can can work. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's made me like be more cognizant of how to move forward and how to grow. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and I, I've fully come to the realization that I can't actually get a paycheck until we're about five years in and everybody on my team is stable. Um, so yeah, I've heard that a lot from people too. Like they say we pay our employees and then we get paid if there's money left over. Yeah. And people are like, yeah, you know, people, people can, uh, shit on, uh, people who own businesses kind of like using the LLC as their personal bank account, but it's like a lot of times they don't actually have a personal bank account. Yeah. Yeah. I do personally try to keep everything separate so that like at the end of the quarter, I'm not like, you know, trying to use personal funds for paying quarterly taxes or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. yeah. Right. right. Um, And if I eat beans and rice for a week, I eat beans and rice for a week. Could be worse. Um, At least you got the yeah. beans and rice. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh.
I don't want to uh, talk to you and not talk about some of the different things that you do, um, non-food related, some of the like different programs and special events and things that you do. Um, like I'm trying to remember uh, what the event was. I brought my daughters and you had like tea for two sets out and, um, oh, was that a Valentine's Day thing maybe? Oh, I can't remember. It was, it was, it was like last, it was like last summer sometime. It might've been during one of the markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you're, you do different events, some death themed, some not necessarily death themed, some in the grieving category and some just kind of in the let's talk about it category. Um, what, what were the first types of things that you had started? Like what was foremost in your mind like okay we're we got to start somewhere this is the first thing that we're gonna offer as a program slash event yeah so the first one was exactly what got me started on this death-centric coffee shop was <clears throat> like hosting consistent death cafes mm. which is where we just sit around and anybody can pop in and we talk about death dying mortality and with without getting too specific, do those conversations kind of like are they funny sometimes? Are they sad sometimes? Are they just kind of deep or are people like poking asking questions that they've never been able to ask before? I'm I, I've never gone to one, so I'm kind of curious. I should drop in sometime. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's it is all of the above. So we will get people that maybe have like recently lost somebody. And just want to not feel alone or they have been struggling with like a terminal illness and they're like, all right, I'm going to die soon. And I'm just going to talk about it with people. Yeah, um, We've had those kind of people pop in. We've had people that just love the topic of death and dying. So they show up pretty consistently. Um, and then we get some people that, can take death and dying to a bit of a ridiculous, you know, <laughs> in nature where it's like, Oh, what do we do with the body when you die? And it's like, Oh, if you could do anything with your body, anything from like being shot out of a cannon to <laughs> you know, being turned into confetti, who knows? Um, that would be awesome. Be turned into confetti and then shot out of a cannon. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm changing my will. I know what I want now. Yep. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's a lot of like really intriguing conversations. Sometimes we do get really deep into what happens to our spirit, what is our spirit. Um, and, you know, inevitably it kind of taps into religion. And for the most part, you know, people are pretty non-denominational, but we do get a few inside personal views of like Christians that have popped in. Some have been um, like more Buddhist uh, background and philosophy on what happens to us when we die. Um, but it's always been pretty respectful. I think uh, I was not hosting it for the, uh, when this happened, but we had like one of our houseless neighbors pop in mm. and I think they kind of like it kind of turned into like everybody asking that person questions about like death and being close to death on the streets and what that's like. Um, so it was 
Yeah, we get a, a good mix. Yeah. And so that one started out being kind of, I guess, of the two, the more lighthearted. But then you've since started like actual grief groups for people. Like, uh, did the, I listened to you on, um, oh, what was it called? The Emotional Duct Tape Podcast. And uh, one of the things you were talking about then was having a grief group for, for people who've lost pets. Yeah. Yep. So that was like a kind of a one and done. We had this woman come in. It's just um, she leads a lot of these grief groups for people that have lost pets. And she huh. came to me and wanted me to host space for her to have this. And yeah, I thought it was great. Because um, that is that's heavy. Like <laughs> I have I have a pet, but I also have four kids. So like I think when my pet dies, I'll be like, well, that's sad. But like, you know. <laughs> Without, I know people that don't have kids and their pets are like, they're, they're little babies. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually, I know some people that have kids and their, their pets are still their little babies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I mean, pets are just like, they are so unconditional. I mean, yeah, kids can hate you and then they get to their teen years and they're difficult but pets yeah. oh man like you could be having the worst day ever and they'll still greet you with a wagging tail and yeah. you know they're just they're too good for us man mm -hmm. yeah my i was always worried that like when we had a when we I, my kids really wanted a pet they're like can we get a dog and we're like no that's a little bit much the barking the everything um cats still a little bit too much and then finally they were like well how about a bunny they're really cheap they don't make any noise and i was like okay but part of me was like i'm gonna like kick this thing when i get mad at it or one of my kids is gonna like throw it when they get mad at it but i've seen my son go from like Argh! i'm like just go pet the bunny and he walks in there and within seconds he's like breathing slower and just calm and stroking the bunny I'm like oh wow that's that's more than you know talking it out or going for a walk could do yeah 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 um what uh what else is going to be going on here you know this uh this spring and this summer that people can look forward to over at uh the mortals cafe oh gosh there's some things potentially in the works um i'd love to put together a death-centric book club yeah, meet up either once a month or quarterly, depending on time. Um, but I was also chatting with uh, an individual who does archiving and like digital archiving, mm. um, whether it's in the form of like taking photos and digitizing them or recording stories um, from people. So I would really like to have her come in and lead a workshop or a discussion around like how you can archive <clears throat> like your, your memories, um, yeah. photos either from yourself or your children or your parents, grandparents, but just a way to um, kind of like ironclad them to the times yeah. and something that can be easily transferable. Yeah. That's really cool. Cause I remember when, um, you know, it was probably from like one of those, like, hand crank home cameras from when my dad was like real little but they had gotten a hold of some ancient tapes that didn't have any sound or anything and they had 
converted those to VHS, you know, back when I was a little kid. And I remember everybody like looking at people that they hadn't seen in decades for the first time and just started crying. I was like, wow, this is this mm-hmm. is special stuff that people don't think about, like how important it is to save those kinds of memories because they will eventually, yeah, technology will just make them <laughs> useless eventually. Yeah. Yep. Because even like you might be able to have something in a digital file, but geez, the way technology is progressing, yeah, like give it, give it 50 years and suddenly that little MP3 player chip disc drive thing on your laptop computer is going to, I don't know. I don't know technology, so I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just throwing <laughs> random words out there. But yeah, suddenly we're going to get to a point where it's like, man, like, you know, it was like we had the same issue with VHS where it's like, how do we take VHS and make it digital? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know? yeah, for a while you could convert them to DVD, but even now DVD. Like, yeah. Unless yeah. you have a DVD player somewhere or you've got like an Xbox who's watching DVDs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is actually funny. Cause just the other night, my wife and I watched captain Ron on DVD oh. in an Xbox. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I love that movie. Sorry, that has nothing to do with this podcast or anything that we talked about, but I love Captain Run. <laughs> oh, that's um, great. Yeah. Um. Oh, man. When my next book comes out, which will probably end up being like next year, just based on some stuff that's going to be happening next year. Um. I'll have to give that to you. And if you guys have a book club, then they might be into it. It's not really about like dying. It's fiction. But um. Somebody dies like in the first couple pages and then somebody dies right after that. And then there's a person who can go back and forth into the land of the freshly dead. But then they, you know, kind of like dissolve and go to where they eventually go. But um, I'd say that's still like death centric enough. It's pretty death centric and there's like Grim Reapers in it and stuff like that. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I will give that a read and it might be our inaugural uh, book club book. Yeah, that'd be fun. Maybe we could do an event at the uh, cafe or something. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Before I let you go, I want to ask you some deep questions that you uh, propose to some of your clients sometimes. Yeah. If you died today and you had to pick your headstone right now, what would it say on it? Oh, my goodness. Oh, girl finally got to sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> I think I looked at it, that on, uh, on one of the coffee sleeves one time, and I think I just wrote I would put on mine something like, I had a blast. Just have it say that on my headstone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a strong conviction about what happens to a person or a person's soul or whatever uh, <laughs> ephemeral uh, being might hold us together? Uh, what happens to a person after they die? Do you believe in reincarnation, heaven, or are you kind of a, well, lights out, but it was fun kind of person or what? Oh, gosh. I'd say more or less a a lights out, but it was fun. Um, But I do believe in something with, like, the energy that 
we have and that we consume and that we work with on a day-to-day basis and how it transfers to the rest of living and even like non-living things um, throughout the universe. So I don't know. Yeah. Our our body goes back into soil, but um, I do see our spirits as like an energy that can just get rippled through everything else. Yeah. And turned back in. Yeah. I'd like to believe in reincarnation in some form, but uh, I do believe, I think I've kind of oversimplified it as saying like, I believe in something kind of like the force. Yeah. <laughs> Where, you know, it's so, there's some, some energy field that, you know, we all came from and then go back to, it might not necessarily be like a consciousness, but uh, yeah, there's some kind of energy. Cause you know, I go back to the old principle of energy can neither be created nor destroyed. And it takes yeah. energy to fuel all this. It came from somewhere. It's going to go somewhere. Oh, God. We're going to die and find out midichlorians are actually real. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, uh, just so you know, Star Wars, that should have been the Bible. That, um, yep. Well, Turns right. out Star Wars was right. Star Wars had it right. <laughs> George Lucas, the patron <laughs> saint of science fiction. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Well, um. Is there anything else that uh, you wanted to say? Um, podcast related, business related, creativity related before we get going? Uh, no, not that I could think of. This was great. Yeah, cool. I'm glad, to, especially somebody who's been in the news with their business a lot, but it's all in just, you know, a paragraph here, a paragraph here, one or two quotes. It's fun to uh, dig around and find out what the, uh, the real motivations are and how things really work, the good and the bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So take that local news. You suck. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I've, I've, I'm friends with some of the people in the local news. They do a good job. No, um, but uh, yeah, thank you for uh, giving me a place to sell books for a while. When I was a member at little space, that was great. And uh, the coffee is amazing. The The theme is unique and timely i think right now so um i appreciate everything that you're doing too inside of the business with those groups and the grief sessions and the the game nights and everything it's uh it's fun because <laughs> i think dante cope had uh put something out on facebook the other day like grand rapids gentrified itself out of something to do and, uh, <laughs> but if you look you know if you look there's cool unique little places like mortals that offer people fun and unique interesting things to do so thank you for being part of uh part of the culture here oh you're welcome i hope to actually boost it even more over the years if you know god there's so much i'd like to change especially for division and yeah yeah there's a it's a cool area coming around there you know the 106 has something going on every thursday little space always has something going on a couple times a month you've got stuff going on art rat yeah it's a cool yep. place. There's, I don't think people give it the the respect it deserves yet, but they will. They will. Yep. We just need to keep being persistent, keep our spaces running, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. Well, Abby, thank you so much. I don't know if you can see me. Thank you um, for coming on and uh, for putting something into Grand Rapids that it it needed rather than just one more of something that it already had. Yeah. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. 
and uh i'll see you around i'll uh i'll be by the shop probably actually sometime this week i don't know if you'll be around the whole time but yeah I'll, pretty I'll much here every day so right on um then uh yeah thank you thank you everybody uh still listening thank you for listening go to the mortals cafe in grand rapids it's the fucking coolest place ever awesome i'll see you around man all right take care thank you everybody for listening to my conversation with abby hunter owner of the mortals cafe and confections on south division in grand rapids michigan check the show notes for all the info you need and i will see you next time goodbye love you guys